Hello, this is Caleb Keith, the director of the 1517 Podcast Network, with an important announcement from the network to you. During the month of June, your favorite podcasts from 1517 are going to be participating in a podcast fundraiser. During this time, we are seeking to raise $50,000 for the 1517 Podcasts. The 1517 Podcast Network has created free gospel-centered content for over five years. We have new episodes of our 19 podcasts coming out every day of the week, and we never fill them with ads or place them behind a paywall. That's why this June, we're asking listeners across our shows to support 1517 and the teachers and creators behind your favorite theological resources. Your support directly impacts our ability to build and maintain podcast content that was listened to over 6 million times last year alone. Thank you to the listeners who enjoy and share our podcast, and a special thanks to those who financially support our shows. We hope that you consider supporting this podcast and the rest of the network during our June fundraiser. And again, that goal is $50,000. One of the easiest ways you can help is by signing up for a monthly reoccurring donation. All you have to do is follow the support this show link at the top of the show notes or go to 1517.org slash donate dash podcasts to support your favorite shows. Again, we appreciate your support. Enjoy this episode of your favorite 1517 podcast. Your love is your God. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. When you love those riches that are worldly and perishable, you cannot love spiritual, heavenly, earthly riches. Why? Because the former weigh down the heart of a man and drag it downward, while the latter certainly lift it up. The love of earthly things is the birdlime of earthly, of earthly feathers, said a certain man from the ranks of the true lovers of Christ. The wife of Lot was changed into a pillar of salt to warn us still today not to look back upon the things that are in the world instead of maintaining the right way to the heavenly fatherland. The apostles left everything to follow Christ. Why? Because the knowledge of true riches removed their desire for false so-called riches. Having tasted spiritual things, carnal things seem foolish. For him to whom Christ is truly dear, this world is disagreeable. Why do you yearn for worldly pleasure so much? Let the memory of the crucifixion crucify all desires for pleasure in you. Let the thought of the fires of Gehenna extinguish all lust burning within you. Compare the brief moment of pleasure with earth with the eternal nature of its punishment. Carnal pleasures are for brutes and likewise render us brutes. He who daily fills himself with the husks of swine does not crave the pleasantries of the heavenly kingdom. Let us mortify all sensual desires, and with Abraham offer God the spiritual sacrifice of that beloved Son that is the desires of our soul by voluntarily renouncing all pleasures and aspirations, holding fast to the cross. The way that leads to the heavenly kingdom is not straight and sprinkled with roses, but rough and thorny. The outward man may grow through pleasures, but the inner man grows through the cross and tribulations. As much as the exterior grows, the interior diminishes. 
pleasures serve the body, but in the mind of the pious, concern for the body is much less important than concern for the soul. Pleasures take our hearts captive so that no freedom to love God remains. You will carry not pleasures but contempt for pleasures with you in death and to the judgment. Let the fear of the divine thus pierce your flesh as a nail, lest the love of the flesh beguile you. Let the thought of the divine judgment continually survive in your soul, lest perverse judgment lead you into slavery to sensual appetites. Do not gaze upon the face of the flattering serpent, but rather contemplate at length the tail that stings so violently. Overcome through the grace of Christ to receive the victor's crown from Christ. Uh, that is from Johann Gerhardt's uh, Sacred Meditations, and that is from Meditation 39, and that's kind of a bit of a downer uh-huh. overall, as it sounds like, but I thought it fits with the episode we'll be doing today. We just recorded with Pastor Gregory Lyon on death, and this episode will be on disappointment and our next one on despair or doubt. And uh, we hit on in the last episode, death is the big problem. This is what Christ came to face, um, that death had come into the world. This was the consequence of sin. Death is also the symptom, or sin is also a symptom then of death. And so um, we live in a world, a fallen world, a world subject to death, which means that we are bound for disappointment. Um, The philosophers... Um, Many a non-Christian theologian, many a um, misdirected Christian theologian even, uh, have sought to take the rough edges off this world and this life, have sought to to promise some sort of happiness, eudaimonia, uh, to say it Mike's way, which is probably the right way, um, to stir kind of utopian dreams. But at the end of the day, Um, To live in this world is at some point to face disappointment. We see this even in the super wealthy who have all that one can have in this world and yet uh, desperately need the next rush. Um, They they need the next thing, uh, which can lead to great disappointment uh, when we find that even money cannot uh, bring true lasting, um, kind of uh, indestructible happiness or contentment. And so the, th- uh, the word of the day to continue the, this uplifting series is disappointment. And Michael and I, as we get to the main topic, will then be discussing, uh, does the Christian live in disappointment? Does the Christian uh, in faith still experience disappointment? What is the place of disappointment, and is there a remedy? Uh, Michael, would you mind giving us our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
And that brings us to our main topic then again, which is disappointment. And I thought, Michael, I would start as many a bad paper begins. Webster's Dictionary. Yep, defines. although not Webster's, but a dictionary indeed. Uh, etymology, online etymology dictionary. Disappointment comes from the mid-15th century. Disappointing to dispossess of appointed office from dis-reverse opposite of plus appoint. Or else from the old French, and the French are good at coming up with sad words. From the old French, uh, disappointer. Undo the appointment, remove from office. Modern sense of to frustrate the expectations or desires of is from late the late fifteenth century and spoken of persons and plans. Defeat the realization or fulfillment of from the fifteen seventies, perhaps via a secondary meaning of fail to keep an appointment. Like if I were to we plan to go to a movie and then you bailed on me. Um we live in a world that's full of disappointments. Um, if you watch the news, if you're on social media, you will have disappointment after disappointment thrown at you. Um, and I think uh, people can turn to religion or to the church to be a remedy for. We, we mentioned death's the big problem, for, but for many people, they've got death further down the line. Um, to be a remedy for disappointment. Uh, for security. And in the Christian sense, we can speak of security, not just like um, security at a mall or a football game, but that I can feel safe. Um, I, I often tell my students that we can ruin about every good gift in life when we seek in it a remedy for disappointment. Uh, so, for instance, when we're young, we say, when I'm in middle school, like those big kids, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out middle school is the worst. Mm-hmm. When I graduate high school, then I'll be happy. When I get into that college, then I'll be happy. When I graduate that college, then I'll be happy. When I meet my future spouse, then I'll be happy. When we get married, I'll be happy. When we get our house, I'll be happy. When I get that job, I'll be happy. When I have this promotion at that job, I'll be happy. And all the way to our grave, we're going to be happy. And we take all of these good gifts and we suck them dry uh, so that we actually don't enjoy them. And it ruins jobs, it ruins marriages, it ruins families. And so uh, I think while death is the big problem all of our people face, disappointment is probably what they wrestle with the most. Um, In America, I think we often say disappointment in this way. My kids often say this to me, even though we, li- we live in a world awash with entertainment. I'm bored. Yeah. I'm bored. Um, to which you say, you're boring. Right. The problem is, is you're boring. Yeah. yeah. Or disappointment can take the sense of, I'm not enough. I wanted to be this thing. Um, so we could even maybe speak of disappointment in self-esteem terms, right? I, I have not measured up to what I want to be. Or disappointment can be, relational others have not measured up to um what i hope they would be and what they ought to maybe have been and so uh maybe when you try to be content your disappointment in your your disappointing in uh your lack of contentment yeah and and so michael maybe if i can throw it to you first because i know you've talked about this a number of times in connection with baptism human flourishing vocation um 
I, I want to be very careful to not tell people they should never be disappointed. Oh. Because I think in some ways, disappointment is a realization of, or is rooted in our, our human dignity. Yeah. And, and the story of mankind, both where we came from and what we're meant for. Um, and so no, I, I know you've unpacked before what it means to sometimes be disappointed mm-hmm. or um, discontented. Discontent, yeah. And so why don't you go ahead and yeah, run with that a bit? I, I think uh, maybe just a word on happiness just for a second. So uh, we've said this before, but um, you're right on where you're always, happiness is always in the future or it's in the past, right? And so... And in neither way is it ever true and substantive then. Yeah. Because we romanticize the past yep. and we, we overestimate the future. Right. And uh, because we're, we're in the past or the, or, or the future, we never quite uh, enjoy the, the things. We're never quite happy. Uh, now, here's the thing is if, you, if you're not asking the question, then you're probably happy, right? Um, you know, we're both at the age where we, we look back on fondness when the kids were, were small we say, what a, what a simpler, what a happy time. But we're not old enough to have forgotten that it wasn't, right? And we're just like, once the kids get out of diapers, once we make a little bit more money, all that kind of stuff. And um, now on to contentment. So I think the trick... Or when they, when they graduate, parenting's going to get easy. Yeah, okay. Uh, Remember good, that one? Yeah, good luck Remember thinking that. that one? Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll grow up. And and I should know better because I've always thought I'll grow up. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I I just don't understand why my children can't be as mature as I. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so contentment, the same thing with like worry or disappointment, as you've said, um, that these are good things, right? Like, uh, sometimes we can take the phrase "don't." God said, "Don't worry," and then if I worry then I'm sinning. Well, if you don't worry about your children, that's probably because you don't love them, right? That's not a good thing, right? Um, You're supposed to be content, but aren't you allowed to have righteous anger? How could you be content, right? Paul's not content with death, as we we mentioned in our last episode. Um, So how does this work out? Well, I think the, the symbol is very instructive for us here. We are simultaneously sinner saints at the same time. And so, um, me, the sinner, if I worry, that is coming from a place of unbelief. God, God cannot do it, and so I need to worry about doing God's job for him. And then I worry about worrying. Yeah, and then, I, and then yeah, and, and we'll talk about this later, despair. I will worry about that. I have worried too much. This is all unbelief talk. This is all sinner talk. The sinner is disappointed with disappointment because he wants something better right now for selfish reasons. Uh, the, the sinner is discontent, again. He's discontent with his family. He's discontent with his co-workers. He's discontent with the government. He's discontent with the church. He's discontent because they've gotten in his way they are annoying him. They got in the way of his life, yep. liberty, and right the third one, the pursuit of happiness. Well, they, they, and 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 he's he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Um, and and he convinces himself. I didn't really ask for much. 
I just wanted this simple thing. He's discontent, and uh, he he sees people not as neighbor but as objects that he uses for his contentment. To consume or to scramble around. Yeah. And uh, on the other side, the, the saint worries out of love. How could you not? The saint is disappointed with injustice and with low church attendance and for the sake of the benefit of neighbor. Imm- immorality. Yeah. And the suffering. And and the saint and, and, and notice that the, the saint is sad for the people in immorality, not wanting to judge them. Right. Like the saint. This sinner. is not what's best yeah. for them. Yeah. And the the saint is is discontent with this world, discontent with death. How could you be content with something so far less than what we were created for and what God gives us in his new kingdom? And so I, I think the the trick of, of understanding this and navigating this is to say, when I'm discontent, I'm discontent as a sinner and a saint, and that's both good and bad. And it's mixed up. It's not like it's one moment this and the next moment that. Sometimes it is, but very often it's it's a mixture of both, right? And and you're this is this is spiritual battle, right? When you when the when the anger pumps through your veins at something that is not right, um, you 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 usually start off with because that annoys you, um, as the neighbor annoys you, but but then after going through it a while and you count your blessings and 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 feel sad for your neighbor and for this world and for yourself. That's the saint thinking, right? And th- this is why both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you hear the cry, save me from my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you say, well, how, I'm a believer. How can I, I, I say that I have unbelief? The sinner's an unbeliever. And, and the unbeliever is not somebody who, who just rejects the existence of God. Sometimes we, we conflate unbelieving with atheism. Mm-hmm. No, the unbeliever is an enemy of God. The, the unbeliever knows full well that God exists. The unbeliever just doesn't like God messing with him, does not trust God, trusts himself, is maybe even angry at God in a wrong way. There's another one. Can you be angry at God? The sinner is angry at God for wrong reasons. Uh, the saint, I don't know if we can say that the saint can be angry at God, but the sinner saint can be. Um, and... Uh, to say this is not right, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Kind of, kind of language. Yeah, read the Psalms. Yeah. So um, the symbol's just so. It's never. It's never deep, hidden deep. It's always at the surface when you're talking about anthropology and soteriology and the church. It's always right there. And and if you, if you, here's a. A couple of tricks. If you're ever confused about some doctrine, I think there's two things that are helpful. Stop, think about the symbol. It usually solves it. Solves it in, in quotes here. Um, because there are mysteries that right. are not explained by, defini- yeah. by definition are not solvable. But the other one is uh, father-child relationship. And, and I see that in two ways. One is I'm the petulant te- teenager and the father is the father, right? But also that how does a father act to a child who, who does not yet know things? Um, and, and that almost always 
always comforts, but almost always, again, doesn't take away the paradox always, but helps me understand what's going on in whatever troubling doctrine I, I, I come across. Yeah, and, and maybe um, if we can extend it even further, Michael, because I think you hit on well for the Christian experience of disappointment, which is what I asked about. Maybe also this is a good reminder for the Christian dealing with the, um, the non-Christian, right? I don't, uh, that, that sometimes disappointment is a contact point and not just something to be tossed off as ingratitude, um, impetuousness. Um, not that, that disappointment is the end point, but sometimes God has brought a person to a point of disappointment as gift uh, so uh, that they're ready to, to listen because he's taught them this world is not what they thought it was. Yeah, and there's two apologetic points here. One is, why are you disappointed? Because you know there's something better. Exactly. And then the second apologetic point is more uh, pastoral, but like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And here's why, here's the problem of suffering being played out in your life right now. This is, as C.S. Lewis says, uh, suffering is God's megaphone to say, you need me. Yeah, and we had... um, when we were going through Galatians and Romans, I was out in the Pacific Northwest, and we got to spend 24 hours together, some brothers and I. And um, Literally, tw- not just 24 hours, but 24 hours of substance. And, yeah, yeah, and in there. there for a while. And one of them just, I thought, um, had a really good insight. He said, you know, Paul just again and again keeps asking them, and how did that work out for you? <laughs> the Dr. Phil of, yeah. And, and there is something. Paul loves to do the were and are. You were, and so you get, like, futility or, you know, striving. Uh, And then he'll say, and he says it to the Galatians because he's terrified they're going to dive back into the law, which had so disappointed them before. How did that work out for you? And and sometimes, right, that, that how did you work out for you is a very important point for someone to be brought to. Um, And... I would say there's a challenge and a benefit in, in living when we live, where we live. The challenge is there's always something else promising to work better. So it's very hard, right, to get people's attention because there's always the next thing that will work better. But the benefit is there's so many things that that treadmill of trying them gets tiring. Mm. And I think we've, we've seen that in our own day. Um, we see it with the younger people. Um, I don't mean this in a trite way, in meme culture. Um, what, is a, what is a good meme? My kids hate when I say this, but a truly dank meme is often, often like cutting satire. Um, I think we see this um, in the reactions we're getting, we're seeing amongst young, some young people and that we already saw with millennials maybe earlier, the pushback against some of the assumptions of this is just what you do or this will, will, make, will make you happy that they had received. No, don't get me wrong. I, um, there was a lot of received wisdom in those old practices, but I understand the pushback when, when th- things seemed hollow or unattainable. Um, but, but even that, getting to that point of Nothing's what it promises to be. It's maybe a point where God needs to bring someone, but it's not an end point because then we end up with, as we'll talk about in the next episode, 
with despair, but it is a point of contact for the Christian. Um, And for the Christian even to say, brother or sister, I know what you're feeling. And I even, Simmel, still struggle with it. Um, But maybe I'll I'll toss back to you and then I want to talk anxiety a bit, but um, because I think you you look like you can build on that apologetically a little bit. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting that you you talked about like this idea like, okay, progress, we're always going to get better, these these promises, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes exhausting that there's always something better, always something better. You never quite get there, right? Um, you're, you're always chasing this. And I wonder if collectively, and I, I don't want to get too much, you know, like a Hegelian world spirit kind of thing, but I, I think there's something to cultures and, and eras and times that, that we can personify, you know, like this is the, the life of a modern person. And uh, modernity promised the world and, and delivered on a lot, but caused a lot of problems. And delivered on some of that for a while. Like it's not, yeah. we're realizing it's not sustainable. No, it's not. And... Um, <laughs> or, so, there, or there were added costs that weren't paid yep, at the time. There was collateral damage that we do not accept anymore. Environmental collateral damage, damage to the workforce, to the family. Yep. Um, you know, modern medicine um, often brings uh, uh, addiction. Um, so I think there may be a time and maybe it's right now, I do believe it is, where you get to the point where I don't think that the secular world can deliver anymore. And we're chasing after this thing that can never be. And if you, you, know, if you want to say this is a part of postmodernism, sure, but even on the, like a, a more surface level in our culture right now, I don't know. In 1968, there was a clear, there is a better path. We can do this better. There is a, there is a promise of the future, for the most part. Are you talking about acid? <laughs> and then, maybe you needed that to believe it, but yeah. Right. But today, I don't think that is the, the, the cultural feeling. It is... There really isn't that hope. You just got to blow it up, and 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 there you're going to blow it up. But I don't even think that there it can be. You can deconstruct it, but there's no way of constructing uh, the it. The social yeah. contract is not tenable if one or both parties feel like they're not reaping the benefits from it. And and I think that's a little. I think that's a, a little over the top, because. We've been through worse. Right, yep. Like, get over yourself. There's, there's the arrogance of the present. At the same time, I welcome this idea that we cannot fix our own problems here. And it's an, an opportunity to say, yeah, that's what the Christian church has been saying for millennia. Yeah, and, and, and maybe not even to push back, but maybe just to, to build out of that we've been through worse. I think that's that's the challenge of our day is um, we have been through worse. But part of what maybe is the added disappointment of our day, um, 
as we've gotten this far and it didn't do what it was supposed yeah. to do. Um, so if there were like a World War II for me to go to, I could maybe chase purpose or meaning there. It could bring us together there. But it, it's kind of like we, we think affluence will fix addiction often. And then it turns out people from the affluent suburbs just drive into the ghetto to buy hard drugs to take back home. Um, maybe there is, it's not harder than being in a war or famine, whatever, but almost a greater disappointment in, in not having peace and not being in those things. Like, I've never had to face many of the things that my grandparents faced. And there's almost a disappointment that comes with, like, not doing that didn't necessarily make me happier than they were. Like, that didn't work and then you throw in the prospect of like all the things they worked for to give us we look and we go those things seem to be getting worse not better and there's a there's a reason there's a general malaise often and didn't make us happy and so the disappointment's greater because not only am i for the most part not really going through what previous generations have gone through so i should be happy and the disappointment's even greater and then i realize well, maybe it would have been better if I had gone through what they... Maybe I would have meaning and purpose if I had experienced the depression or a world war. Was I deprived yeah. of something by being so sheltered could, from suffering? We, I, I think you can answer that in the affirmative. I, I'm thinking of, you know, there was some line from Bill Clinton that he didn't have a great, a great crisis mm-hmm. that would have allowed him a mandate so that he could lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that George W. H. Bush or George W. Bush, George Adderley II, had, had yeah. um, you know, and and which presidencies did not have that? People were fairly discontent. I mean, there's some truth to or that. Or they got them, and it it went the opposite way, right? Too. Or it was in a in a in maybe a Jimmy Carter way, just a stupid thing, right? You know, like a stupid thing yeah. um, instead of a FDR. Um, you know, I'll stop there. And, but I do think it makes it harder for modern politicians. They almost we, have to create crises. Right. We've yeah. had crises that should have united us, and they absolutely didn't. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In recent history, I mean. Um, but I think part of the challenge is, is that people are now even disillusioned with crises. Mm-hmm. Like, it... There's... There's... People are so anxious, and, and, and maybe if I can, I'm going to lay something out, and you tell me if you think I'm full of it, Michael. You can preemptively say it if well, you want. Oh, you're full but, of it, but um, no. So I'm thinking kind of in Kierkegaard terms, and Kierkegaard, right, says life can only be understood by looking back, but it has to be lived in the present. And Kierkegaard's a Christian, um, but he paves the way for Sartre and other existentialists, especially with talking about angst or anxiety. There is a... Um, it is very tenuous living only in the present, right? There's a lack of rootedness. And for Kierkegaard, that's the only way you can live. Now, I think he's off in that, but um, we and live in an no, I, I define myself by my existence rather than an essence or something right. grounded. Right, yep, there's nothing inherited. And we, um, you know, we, we've had Henry Ford and the industrialists, and Henry Ford famously says history is bunk. One damn thing after another. Yeah. We live in an America where the newest thing is the best, and the big demographic you want to hit is the young demographic. Um, 
we also live in an age uh, that has grown very worried about the future, whether it be war, climate change, economic collapse. We're inundated with potential apocalyptic or at least very unpleasant scenarios. And so there's this barrier between my present and my future. I can't look either way and see anything. I can't look past and have hope. I can't look future and have hope. And so all I have is, is angst. All I have is anxiety. And anxiety levels, I mean, they're off the charts. This is... This is uh, For a variety of reasons. Yes. Um, Sometimes self-fulfilled prophecies, but yeah. And, and so all I can have is, is dis- if you only have the present, all you can have is disappointment. Uh, think of some of the best things in life are things you do in the present that connect you to the past or things you do in the present for the future. But when these things are uncertain or they're walled off, well, what does Christianity do? It knocks down those barriers. And it says, here's your past. It's your baptism, and it's never behind you. Here's your past. It's the accomplished work of Christ, and it's never behind you. It's, it's never your were. It's always your are. <clears throat> and your, your past now is it, it's inseparable from who you are. Romans 8. After Paul goes through his great crisis in Romans 7, begins with baptism. And then it says, here's your future. And, and your future is shalom. It's flourishing. It's wholeness. It's peace with God. It's everything that's be disappointing now because it isn't what it's supposed to be, being what it's supposed to be. And I don't mean that like you'll have perfect fishing in heaven or whatever else. Um, and, and so here... To me, Kierkegaard, he's diagnosing correctly. He's a good diagnostician. Um, and he tries to give a Lutheran answer. He says, here's the leap of faith, and the leap of faith is Christ. But that leap then is, right, it's, it's contrary to your experience. It makes this leap kind of like, it's, it's, it's not rooted in anything, right? Um, as we would think of your baptism or the work of Christ being rooted, um, even with your present, right, given to you as a foretaste in the Lord's Supper. And here then is maybe an inn in a world of disappointment. And here also is something for us all to remember every day, uh, that God gave us uh, an incarnational theology for a reason. Uh, And an incarnational theology means of grace that are never only present. They're delivering things accomplished in the past as a surety, a guarantee for the future, and um, I know sometimes we can get a little loosey-goosey with what we mean by law and what we mean by gospel, but there's specific gospel, I think, in that emphasis in a world that's, um, that's full of dis... It was really fun. We, met, we talked about in the last episode about grunge and, you know, Smells Like dis, uh, Teen Spirit, the music video by Nirvana. It was kind of fun to be disillusioned for a while while we were young. I don't know if you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Like, I, you know, it was... I, it was kind of fun to be more disillusioned than your friend. Yep. You know, and so we, we were it's very good at youth. like sarcasm and whatever. It's a part of American youth in the last 50 years. Yeah. But it doesn't, like you have to grow out of it just like we grew out of wearing Jerboa jeans or even worse, Cavarici. <laughs> or did you ever do the crisscross? No. The, the backwards clothes, right? Uh, you grow out of those things. Um, but uh, maybe sometimes the way to speak to people who are, um, whether they realize it or not, they're entangled by, ensnared is the word the Bible likes to use, 
by anxiety and a lack of rootlessness, um, of rootedness, uh, isn't just to give them more anguish. I don't know how to say this well, but it's not just to multiply their anxiety, but to give them past and future and hope. Yeah. I'm I'm intrigued by that idea of the present. We already talked about like happiness is always in the past or in the future, and so you should live in the present. But there's a caveat there. If you're only li- living in the present, the problem with living in the present is by the time you end the sentence, it's not the present, you know. Right, and, it's gone. And it's gone, and it's fleeting. Um, and Jesus has some things to say about this life being fleeting. And so what, I think I, I really dig what you're saying about being rooted in the past and the future and and how it is present for us in a, in a very real way. You mentioned baptism is a one-time historical event in my past, and yet it's a baptismal life. In the same time, when we talk about the new kingdom, it is already, but not yet. This is the language of the paradox of the Lutheran Church. And what we mean by that is classical Christianity, biblical Christianity. And so there is something beautiful there about past, present, and future being wrapped up, let's say, in one person. Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ, who is the present, uh, who is and who was and who will be. And who had every reason to be disappointed when he came down here. And so you, you talk about like Holy Communion previously in a previous episode too, like the, the connection with the, the, the Passover meal was a meal that looked back to the Exodus but forward to um, the Messiah for Old Testament believers. And Holy Communion, do this in remembrance of me, connects me to the past, but it is... It is the heavenly feast of heavenly Christ's body and blood. It connects me to the to the the Lamb's high feast, and so we have this past, present, and future all wrapped up into Christ, who is, who was, and who will be. Um, and I and I wonder that that's uh, I I can't go one paragraph in Kierkegaard without pulling my hair out because I don't understand it. Um, but I wonder if there there's an essay there uh, of Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard and tweaking him a little bit to say through the lens of past, present, and future. Because I think you're right when like the some of the atheist existentialists who distinguish that here between And and there are a number of them who say we're just trying to be consistently atheist. Like yeah. that's a big part of what their existentialism is. And when they say it's existence over essence, right? So there's no I'm not rooted there's no there is no mankind we are all adding to the thing that is mankind in, in my existence, in my decisions, right? There's no, as you said, rootedness into something bigger, you know, I hate to say it, but a platonic form kind of thing. Um, and so if, if existence is over essence, does that also mean the present is over the past? I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a question for Peter. Yeah. We need to get him on. I, I, I'm 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 beyond my expertise right now, but I think that's that's really that's what I was thinking about when you and, and the answer in the already but the not yet and the connection to the historic Christianity is something that makes Christianity so unique. And and it is interesting because there will be areas where we we will recognize you can't avoid the past. Um, I think one of the things that's very important that we've come to recognize in our day. And that understanding better down the road will be very helpful as trauma. Um, now, we can sometimes overdo it. I, I, when I teach history, I tell my students, like, 
all of these people were walking around with trauma. Like, yeah. you didn't go through these events they went through without trauma. Um, but we do recognize with trauma, well, what's trauma? It's you can't escape the past. Um, well, the Christian past, your baptism, also puts to death everything else. There is nothing else but your baptism and then everything else that is that is gift, right? Um, who who are your parents? They are who brought you to baptism. <clears throat> is there trauma there? Okay, but they're also who brought you to baptism. Who are your fellow Christians who have maybe hurt you? They are the fellow baptized. And that's not to, to minimize trauma, but it is to say it's interesting that while um, we have become less concerned with history, we do recognize the importance of the past. Um, we do also uh, recognize to some degree maybe the importance of the future. There's whole industries about saving for the future, your financial viability for the future. Um, but as, part, as far as like past and future bringing me peace, uh, I think we struggle a lot more with that. And, and that's uh, the power of the Christian movement. We... I don't want to keep going back to the catacombs we talked about in the previous episode, but it is striking that they met, the Christians met in places where the dead were buried, and then they drew symbols of the past and the future, of what Christ had done in the past and what he would do in the future, right? That this, that in the present they went there, and then this is what happened. Um, and I, I think that's something the church has, uh, because even the things, when you boil down all the culture war stuff, it's people on every side be unable to escape the present, right? It's this, it's whose who's culture is going to hold the, pro, the, the present. Um, and, they, and then what do you do? You try to like, you know, mold the past to fit your agenda. And then you have this terrifying future if your side doesn't win. Uh, whereas the church maybe has the ability to say sometimes with Paul about whatever it is that's the problem in the present. Well, how's that working out for you? Right, and, and, and um, I don't know, I, I think that's, that's something with this, because we can preach about disappointment in kind of a hokey way. And, we, and then what we do is we present it as, here's God's law and it's the better way, because God wants you to be happy. And we, I see this sometimes even in our circles now of a sermon that basically is to say, well, God really wants the best for you. So the stuff that you think the church is a downer about, it's really just God wanting the best for you. My sinful nature is always going to think God is a downer for not wanting me to fornicate. Like, I'm too old. I don't have the energy anymore. But, like, my sinful nature is always going to think um, God is a downer for not wanting me to, you know, to, to, to live the college party yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, there's a truth that God's protecting the gift, right? Right, And yep. he doesn't want you. But, but you're right, the idea, like, if I just understand this, then everything. It's not gospel, right? It's not gospel to say... Well, don't fornicate, and you'll be happier. Life, yeah, life will be better. Um, and so I want to avoid doing that with the past and future stuff, but I think this is gospel in the sense of your baptism is gospel. Yeah. The Lord's Supper is gospel. That Christ died to save sinners and bring them to heaven is gospel. Yeah. And maybe this is a way for us to be speaking a disappointment that's healthier yeah. than merely essentially a therapeutic, a better therapy. Yeah, and uh, maybe two points. Uh, I I'd like to sometimes, someday, talk about self-fulfilling prophecies. Like, if I keep telling everybody they're anxious, then they're going to be anxious kind of thing. Like, how much is that? Is that? I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss mental illness 
by any, like as you said, sure. people were had having trauma. We and even when I say it. anxiety, yeah. I don't, I don't only mean like clinical. I yeah. just mean angst, what yeah. we would call angst back then. Or like you said, people had trauma back then. Of course they right. did, right? But they dealt with it differently. And there's, there's, uh, you know, right? There's a lot going on there. The other thing I was thinking about with it, I'm now thinking in terms of timeline, right? Past and and present and future. Um. One of the criticisms we would have of some evangelicals who are looking forward to a certain millennial utopia or whatever, whatever. We're all gonna, everything's going to work out. We're going to get even in the yeah. rapture. Yep. And and I, I've been I've been working on this this course, Christ and Culture, and or Christ in the Old Testament, and looking through like the the Jewish the Old Testament calendar right uh, the, the Passover and the Feast of Booths and, and all that kind of stuff and evangelicals have very adeptly lined up the it depends on your account but the seven major feasts of the Old Testament Day of Atonement that kind of stuff and it's a it's a it's a nice little package where some of these feasts have talked about Christ already accomplishing something like Day of Atonement is the, uh, or not the Day of Atonement, but Passover being, you know, his, his suffering. But they will then take some of those feasts and say, like half of them have not yet been fulfilled. So the Day of Atonement is still coming, right? And... Part of it is the the misunderstanding of the already, but the not yet Christ right. kingdom, a millennialism, that kind of that we we don't have time to go through all of that. But Christ's kingdom is already here; he's mm-hmm. already won, and yet we're not there yet. I get that, and and that's repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, right. That we sometimes yeah. I think gloss over that too yeah. much. It's here. Where I'm already part of it. Right. The Day of Atonement has already occurred. Right. Christ. Second coming has not occurred from my point of view. But in God. But yeah, and, and so there's there's some built in angst for the future in that way of thinking. Um, instead of an amillennial, which is the millennial Christ reign where the devil you know and the devil still has his, his way, is right now it's symbolic. Um there is comfort in the midst of the awful present because it's already. Yep. It's secure. My baptism is secure. My future is secure. There is not this insecurity because I quite, my, my, it all depends on my faith. What if I have a bad faith day? It all depends on someday Christ is going to come uh, instead of, instead of and I'm being too a little bit too harsh, but I think you get what I'm saying here, yep. that there's some built-in... I'm fascinated now by the timelines. Well, and I think, um, right, to go to vocation, um, I don't know if Luther said this or if, if you've said Luther said this, and so um, I just say Luther said it, uh, but about vocation, justification, freeing us, in essence, to venture all yep, things. He said it, beautiful phrase, yeah. Um, that is, uh, right, that's part of the confidence of the future is that even if it does, even if what I do to some degree disappoints, what of it? Yeah. It's, there, I'm, there's, it's still lathered in gift and this world is gift and, and I know where I stand with God. It, it might 
disappoint, but is it disappointing the sinner or the saint and how and why? And I'm, I'm much more equipped, um, right, to have peace and joy even in the midst of suffering when I am rooted in past and future in that way. It's good stuff. Okay, well, good. I didn't think this would be a good one. This is a good one. Yeah. I was... This hearing. went better than I had in my head, but I, hopefully this order ends up working out. And then I figured now we get to despair, which is disappointment run amok. Yeah. Right? Um, and despair, all, I think, goes back to the first episode. It's nigh unto death, right? Luther talks about anfechtung, and it's, it's, it's smelling the very fires of hell. Um, and so you may be listening to this, and you go, well, have I been wrestling with disappointment or despair? Huh? They often come together, uh, but no matter the case, uh, we remember that you are not uprooted. Um, you are a dear child of God. You have a past. The death and resurrection of Christ are yours, and you have a future. He has ascended and gone to heaven to prepare a place for you. And in the meanwhile, uh, this world is what it is. It's a fallen world, but it's also our playground where God sets us free as children of God um, to live to rejoice in his gifts, and at times to bear the crosses when he so calls, uh, but knowing full where where we've been and where we are going uh, so that we can, with peace and with joy, let the bird fly. Another round, another round, oh, one more round won't get me down.